What's going on, everybody? This is J.M. Banks. And I'm Eric Hawthorne. And this is Urban Alchemy Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. As always, we got a great one for you today here on our Media Review Mondays. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about one of, once again, my favorite pieces of media, as well as one of Eric's favorite pieces of media, the 1992 biographical drama film Malcolm X by Spike Lee, starring Denzel Washington. Now, before I let you go into it, I just have to say, first and foremost, this is one of my top tier film acting. When I think of what makes a great actor, I think of performances like this, like besides Daniel Day-Lewis or Edward Norton or, you know, just somebody who has a wide range and, and just goes fully into a character to the point where you don't even see the actor anymore. You just see the character. And Denzel Washington definitely turned that in with this performance. And Spike Lee, I also think this is his greatest film in his repertoire uh, as a film Maker. Everything is on point, I think, in this movie. Music, cinematography, acting, writing, direction. Eric, what are your first initial thoughts to get to the listeners on your feelings towards Malcolm X? It's an excellent movie. Uh, one of my favorite Spike Lee movies. My second favorite Spike Lee movie, in fact. Really? Yeah. Uh, Do the Right Thing is my first. Okay. But uh, Malcolm X is such a wonderful film. It's a film that I was introduced to as a small child. Mm-hmm. Um the acting, superb. You have wonderful performances from Angela Bassett, Denzel, Delroy Lindo, Spike himself, you know, Clint yeah, Shorty. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the character actors in this film are excellent as well. It's a film that I would highly recommend. Now, I will say this. We do know that it's based on the book, but it's not verbatim from the book. So, you know, Spike takes a few artistic liberties, but overall, it's still just an excellent movie. Very good, uh, very powerful speeches. The the music, like you said, the cinematography is excellent. The scripting is done very well. So, yeah, I would highly recommend this film here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, I say this is my favorite Spike Lee film because just like I said, everything is on point when it comes to this film that you said yours is do the right thing. I think when I think of it's do the right thing. Are you saying his most perfect film or are you saying that's just the one that resonates with you the most? I think that's just the one that resonates with me the most. I really enjoy the movie. Malcolm X is just uh, Malcolm X. You have to set some time to look at because it is a very long it's film. A, it's like a three-part play almost. Uh, we'll get into that once we start breaking down the plot. But right. yeah, I think if we were going with like the story that resonates with you, Mo Better Blues would probably be my favorite. <laughs> because that's the story because as uh, just growing up as a musician and seeing them portray musicians from the other end of the stage right. and just seeing what it's like to interact with people in a band. And it's just like, this is so cool. And the acting Wesley Snipes, Denzel Washington, once again, and I hate that we don't see more Denzel Spike Lee movies. Cause you the know, last was inside, inside man, man. but yeah, that yeah. wasn't a real spike movie. That was an industry movie. Right. It was a, it wasn't a Spike Lee joint. It was right. more of just Spike Lee going about the regular director flows. People were just like, this is a Spike Lee movie. But yeah, they definitely that would be my favorite movie in terms of just feeling. But yeah, Malcolm X is just one of those films where when I think of biopics, this is the biopic I think of because this person completely just encapsulates and I hate to say it, and I really hate to admit this, but sometimes when I think of Malcolm X, Denzel Washington's voice pops into my head. 
this is a complete and utter sidebar. But do you remember? <laughs> I think I might have sent you the picture where somebody got a tattoo of Malcolm X and they got oh, the yeah, tattoo yeah, of Denzel. Denzel playing Malcolm X. But that's the thing is, it's like so. Your only other person I can think of in that regard is maybe Jamie Jamie Fox as Ray. You know what? That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. In terms of bio, that's the thing, because like we know Denzel Washington is a great actor who can pull off various roles. It just is a testament to show like Spike Lee was was ahead of the game back in 1992. Like biopics weren't popular back then. They weren't popping. It was just something that was looked at more of like a book, like you're going to go there to learn something. But this told the story. And like you said, it did follow uh, the autobiography. Me and you've discussed this many a times in regards to what got left out, what got put in, and just the story, which is incredible because Malcolm X just had such an amazing life. That just is a testament to Spike Lee as a filmmaker and Denzel Washington as an actor to be able to take this story that that starts off from a man's perspective who's just fresh off the train from the country going into this big city life, him transitioning into the crime of Harlem, hustling, white women, just all these things that he never in his life dreamed of in this small town. And now that he's uh pretty much exposed to it. It's just the floodgates that cut loose. And then you see his further descent into the criminal underworld, teaming up with West Indian Archie, his crew, ended up just getting way, way too in over his head, ends up uh, sticking up, burglarizing houses, gets into prison, ends up finding uh, Islam, and then becomes an acolyte of Elijah Muhammad. And then from there, he, he goes to what we know him as, Malcolm X proper. And then towards the end half, he goes to the, you know, Malcolm X that got him killed. The We are all one people. We all need to band together to figure out these problems with injustices across the world. So to be able to, you know, pretty much play a hustler and then play a religious zealot and then play the humanitarian leader. Those are three roles that one actor couldn't probably pull off one of those dimensions, let alone three perfectly executed. When he plays a hustler, you, you believe he's breaking into houses and don't give a damn. When he plays uh, Elijah Muhammad's uh, messenger, you know he's just drunk the Kool-Aid. Like, there's certain things he says about Black people, you're like, yeah. And then certain other things, and it's just like, whoa. And then when he does the complete turnaround and breaks from the Nation of Islam, it's just like, he sees the light. He sees what has to happen now. And then that's when it really starts getting sad, because you know what's going to happen next. And it's just like, yo, this movie is just way more than a movie. In the 90s, to put this kind of movie out here because Malcolm X was not a universally celebrated character in the American annals of civil rights. I think that's one of the uh, interesting perspectives that you, well, not perspectives, but points that you brought up. You would think that a movie about MLK would have got done before Malcolm X. I mean, Malcolm X still to this day, well, I think now I think black people are starting to resurrect their heroes and take back their heroes mm-hmm. and not allow uh, the dominant white society to basically tell us who we should and should not glorify and give adulation to in our historical past. And Malcolm X is somebody that, like you said, he was a hustler. He was somebody that grew up hating foster care system. He, which turned into his hate for white people because his father was killed by the Klan. 
And um, I think that we've discussed this before. The story of Martin Luther King is a lot easier to clean up than the story of Malcolm X. It's a, it's a lot easier to sell to the mass as opposed to talking about this two-bit hustler in Harlem who is a semi-gangster who's going around robbing people and teaming up with one of the big-time gangsters at the time. Uh, so I really respect Denzel for what he was able to pull off. And we don't really talk about the transitions in the movie from where he's a teenager. Child actor is played by somebody else, but then he becomes young man, a teenager, and Denzel's probably what you think, like 34 at this time, 33, yeah, yeah. playing a 19-year-old, still looks uh, like a relatively young man. And then that's when he goes on into prison and then the reform and then another reform afterwards where he reforms himself, I say, from Elijah Muhammad's particular sect mm-hmm. of Islam. So it's really quite interesting what Spike chose and chose not to put into uh, the narrative. It makes it cohesive. Don't get me wrong, but there are, like I said, we've talked about many times, there would be some great opportunities to put in X, Y, and Z from the book rather than kind of things that they glossed over. But you couldn't do that back then. Mm. And I think that that can only be achieved, like we've said, like with a miniseries or something. How many times do you think you've read the book in your lifetime? Gosh, I think I go back and read that book maybe once a year since. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even, I've read it multiple times a year in college. So I did probably more than 15, maybe 20 times. Really? That's on a conservative end because that Malcolm X to me, everybody who knows this, like I didn't have male role models growing up. So when I watched this movie for the first time, it was so impactful on me because, you know, the first quarter of the movie is what many young black men are going to relate to. And that's what made Malcolm X so appealing because he spoke to you from a perspective of somebody who's not standing on a pedestal. He's very, he was very upfront with letting you know, hey, I was a hustler. I was a pimp. I was a drug dealer, but I wasn't born that way. That was not my natural state. I was put into those situations by systematic influences caused by white people. It's just like, okay, let's, let's, it, it really makes you evaluate your life. And cause you know, Malcolm X lost his father through a lynching, the Black Legion, uh, that area's specification of like the clan and then uh mother had a psychological break put into the system a group home excuse me in a, in a boys group home and it's just like he pretty much told you like every aspect of his life had been negatively influenced it really makes you look look at your life and be like damn and you know at that age when i was watching this i had watched it maybe a few years after it came out and it's on home video and i was just like wow this made me have a whole new outlook on the world and i remember going to school and asking my teacher questions about it and her being visibly upset that I was bringing up Malcolm X. And now you just juxtapose that with me as an adult and it's like, hold on, I learned about uh, Stonewall Jackson. I, I learned about Rory Lee. And it's just like, hold on, why are we uh, able to learn about these old slave owners who are, are pretty deplorable, but somebody who you felt was distasteful in your opinion? Same thing with John Brown. Same thing with Nat Turner, Kiss Garvey. Somebody who's, you know, uh, says something that's problematic in your opinion is somebody who gets erased from the history books. But we have these slave owners who we glorify and be like, yeah, let's give them a President's Day or let's give them a, their own personal holiday. And it's just like, why are we still allowing this? Like, we need to innately, you're right, you're absolutely right that now we're starting to take back our heroes and say, no, Huey P. Newton was a hero. Even though he had views on the police and self-defense that does not mesh well with your mentality in today's day and age. Shady still talked about was relevant. Same thing with Malcolm X. 
I have read Malcolm X over and over again and still was able to pull so many things that's going on in our society from those pages. And it's just like things really haven't gotten too much better. And they haven't, you know, I, I really do think you, know, you have to put him next to Martin Luther King Jr. And, and admire the dichotomy of this one guy was telling you, hey, we got to be peaceful. We got to love each other. And this other guy was saying, hey, we got to do that. But if they try to fuck with you, we're not going to stand for it. And the fact that one has taken off in our, you know, has a monument on the natural national uh, mall and the other one can barely get a street named after him. And then it's going to be the horrible street in the city too. Martin Luther King has not had a movie made about him. Cause I don't think anybody's willing to be honest about him as a man. Like they were honest about Mar- Malcolm X in this film. What was the movie? Selma. Selma didn't address it. Yeah. It didn't address all the, Impropriety, improprieties in uh, MLK's life, uh, his infidelities. No. And I'm not saying that's important, but to not see somebody as a god. And I think that's what I like about Malcolm. He's a man. He's somebody that had a ninth grade ed- education. A lot of people don't know this. He had a ninth grade education and one of the most eloquent speakers, most intelligent people that you will hear speak. If I think the most wonderful thing about YouTube is that I'm able to go back and I'm able to hear these debates, these interviews with Malcolm X and hear the man speak from his own words in real time, what he was feeling, how he was addressing situations. And you really see the evolution of some of his earlier debates and interviews. And then over the course of a few years, because I can't say over his lifetime, because he was killed at 39. Mm. Young man, just like Martin Luther King. And I always tell people, I say, just think about it. This man was 39 years old and felt it was important that he write an autobiography. I couldn't even think about writing an autobiography. So he knew that his life was in jeopardy. He knew that it was important to get his life experience out there. But I also wanted to touch base with you and talk about what you were talking about. You know, the whole, I want to talk about Malcolm X to your teacher. Well, I had a similar experience when I was Mm. younger. I wanted to write about Malcolm X for my hero paper. And my teacher was like, I don't think you should write about Malcolm X. Why don't you write about Martin Luther King? And I said, why? He said, well, you know, Malcolm X was violent and Martin Luther King was peaceful. He was somebody that you would agree with. And, you know, with the influence like that, I was like, okay, I guess I should write about Martin Luther King then. But Malcolm X never preached advocated violence. What he advocated for was intelligence. And over and over, if you listen to his speeches, he will say that he advocates intelligence. If you come to me with a gun, I need to be able to defend myself. He says, as black Americans, you were protected under the Constitution in which you have a right to bear arms. If we are Negroes in America, if we are African-Americans, then we should be granted full protection under those laws, and we should be able to exercise our right to vote, exercise our right to bear arms, amongst other liberties that uh, white folks have been practicing and taking advantage of for years. No, but I I get what you're saying. It's a lot to take in as a kid. 
because it's like your your parents want you to have an understanding of this, but there's so much adult subject matter in the in those films to absorb and then try to regurgitate and have a valid argument with an adult who has an uh, opposing view. I mean, my teacher was he, you know, pretty much was like Malcolm X hated white people, and I was just I was quoting work lines from the movie, and I was just like, yeah, but taught him not to hate. Right. So it just it reminds me of the white people in the movies, like they would have a certain argument put to them, and they would just double back to some lesser argument. It was just like, well, I wish, you know, now with my mindset, my 30 year old plus mindset, I wish I could go back to my eight, nine year old self and be able to argue and debate with the teacher. I was like, okay, so then why do we have President's Day? Why are we talking about George Washington? Why are we talking about Thomas Jefferson? Out of all the presidents, why are we talking about Thomas Jefferson? Don't get me wrong. Excellent statesman, somebody who was very loquacious, very uh, eloquent in his speech. So was Hitler. Exactly. (laughs) But but this is somebody also who owned slaves, somebody who, slaves. somebody who traveled with a 14 year old slave and impregnated her with at least six children who just so happens to be his dead wife's half sister. So we don't want to talk about those things. I think that if I were in my younger self, I would address those issues with my educators and I would say, hey, why are we learning about this? Why are we doing this? Why are my heroes seen as, you know, you know, they're they're seen filled with hatred uh, when we don't talk about the conditions in which they lived at that time, because we can talk about the we excuse the conditions in which the slave owners lived in. That's what's called historical context. Right. Owning people was legal, so it was OK. Right. And I mean, you're, you're taught so much as a child about things that just simply are true, like Abraham Lincoln just being this guy who really wanted to flip free the slaves. He would have free. He would have if he could have ended the Civil War without freeing one slave, he would have done that. I mean, we we know that now to this day, but, you know, all growing up, he's a great emancipator, et cetera, et cetera. So if untruths can be in the public school system, why can truth not be expressed and taught? Right. You know, that's one of those things that are I, that always bother me to this day. So, I guess we should get back to the film. You know, we're talking about the I, that the life and everything of Malcolm. But that's the thing because it's so intertwined. Like right. the movie, like nothing you you have stated has has not taken place in the movie. Like everything in regards to our conversation, like they did a great job at showing how upfront Malcolm X was with the message, just like white people are the devil. Black people are the natural man who have been put in this position by white people so they can control us. And they gave us Christianity so they can make us docile and make us easy to manage. And it was just such a overwhelming feeling that black people were just like, nah. And I think that's one of the reasons black people, you know, Malcolm X was able to be pushed into the back of the consciousness of the communities because a lot of Christian people took offense with what he was saying about their white God. And they didn't know how to take that. So they were just like, he's the devil. Can't support him either. And it's just like, nah, this brother was out here doing stuff and saying things. And, you know, one of my favorite scenes is when he's outside the churches, when they're coming out the churches, it's just like, you've been out there praying for heaven. You know, how, how's that going for you? You know, get your right. heaven right now. And the, just the people just like, no, no, I'm good. And it's just like, you got somebody specifically telling you the truth. Now, I get it. Religion is very, very touchy in terms of people feeling attacked. But I agree. 
100%. Like, I was raised Christian, and as an adult, I can see a lot of the shit we believe in is just shit that was given to us that white people don't necessarily play by those rules, but it makes us more guilty about doing certain things. Try to lean more towards one way or another. And it's just right. like, no, you should be leaning towards your own common sense. But right. as we talk about religion, I mean, in, in the book and in the movie, they go into a lot more depth in the book about the sect of Islam in which they believe. And you and I've had this discussion. We're just like, a lot of this stuff just seems, you know, far-fetched, very far-fetched. <laughs> Someone made it up. Scientology. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, Elijah Muhammad is communing with these historical fi figures. And I'll say that in air quotes, uh, particularly the big-headed scientists. And that's how Malcolm X describes this ancient figure who started Islam. What was his name? Dr. Yacob. And it's so funny because they, they completely left that part of, of the book. I, I they would left, have left that out. Yeah, they specifically left that out, and they specifically left his rowlings against certain leaders in the civil rights movement like Martin Luther King. He right. says some really off the wall stuff about them and the March on Washington. He's very, very cutthroat about that. And now he just is like, this is a ploy. Like it doesn't, it didn't do anything. Like, well, but, but is that, is that not true though? It's, it, 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 I feel like it is, but it, it is and it isn't because on one hand it didn't actually accomplish anything. But on the second hand in the national consciousness, it was one of those moments where it's just like people came together and it made people symbolic. feel like, yeah, it made people symbolic. feel like this is the shifting of the okay. consciousness. So people were like, all right, I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. Cause you know, it's not just a point where it's just like white people could stay neutral. Now it's like, are you for racism or are you against racism? So I feel like it had a purpose, but not the purpose or the impact it was initially made for. So they definitely left that shit out. That and Yacob. They also left out the Elijah Muhammad got all this from F.W. Farad. Right. Who is a mysterious, enigmatic figure that we still don't know very much about At to all. this day. We don't know what country he originally come from. Some people say it was Egyptian. Some people think it was Iranian. Some people think it was Turkish. And we don't even know if his name was Farad or Ford or Fard or what. But it's just so crazy that this Middle Eastern fella came to, what was it? it was Chicago. It was, yeah, it was Chicago because that's mm -hmm. where Temple Number One was. Right. Yeah, he came and, and started meeting with black families and teaching them this stuff and this kid was just like that's it and he became right. Elijah Muhammad so right. it's just crazy that think like this is what started the you know for all intents and purposes the black power movement like yeah. black black power black is beautiful you know be, pro be proud of your black blood and your heritage to the motherland but yeah uh, I, I just want to say one of the breakout stars of this film for me was the guy who played Elijah Muhammad absolutely I was like is that Elijah Muhammad absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I remember watching an interview where he was uh, talking about how nervous he was about playing. No, it was reading a, a interview about um, how nervous he was about playing the uh, character because too. he was such a larger than life uh, person. Oh, and, I thought he meant because he was going to get killed by the, by the fruit, <laughs> the fruit of Islam. <laughs> no, but then, you know, he was talking about, you know, I was a little bit nervous. And then, you know, I started talking like him, practicing. And, you know, they cut a ball patch in the back of my head and, you know, Everything just flowed because when Denzel breaks down and he is praying, he sees Elijah Muhammad right. visiting him in his cell and he and he falls to his knees and he starts praying to Allah. When the actor comes in 
acting like Elijah Muhammad, you think you're seeing Elijah Muhammad. You think you're uh, hearing Elijah Muhammad. He doesn't sound exactly like him, but the dialect uh, is <laughs> pretty strong. It's, yeah, it's pretty. Almost, I mean, it's very I, almost I mean, spot on. Like I think if you saw these people. Took two pictures, black and white pictures of these two men and put them side by side by side. You would not be able to say, oh, that was Elijah Muhammad and this was the actor. Yeah, absolutely. That guy did such like almost to the same level of Denzel Washington. We have to find his name because uh, I, the actor. Yeah. The actor's name is Al Freeman. Al Freeman. OK, well, Al Freeman, uh, God rest his soul, uh, did a wonderful job in the film. Incredible. It's just and then when you look at like other films like uh Ali and it was just like did you guys even know who this guy was like you're picking picking actors like it, it's so crazy because it's just like this little tiny light-skinned man with mm-hmm. this very soft-spoken voice one of my favorite movies or tv shows of last year was Godfather of Harlem and you keep telling me to watch it i got to watch it it's it's something that is so good if you really like history and really like like i knew about you know bumpy johnson from hoodlum you know mm-hmm. lawrence fishware movie right uh and then you saw american gangster and it's just like okay this is kind of a progression so i was super excited to be like all right let me see this full story to kind of gap this middle portion but yeah it, it's a good story it it, it covers Den- or malcolm x for the first time in depth since this film and the actor who plays malcolm x in the film does an amazing job right uh so back to the movie what is your favorite part or scene from the film scene in the film would probably be right before the end leading up to the assassination where they have Sam cook change going to come playing. And it's that beautiful shot. And it was just such a uh, experimental shot back in the day of just Malcolm X almost floating towards the the dolly shot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Towards his destination. That's just like such a spikely, what became like a spikely hallmark. It's so many actors or so many directors use it now. You know what? Looking at the scene as a, boy you know i didn't understand like the significance of it and then at the end of that scene the one thing that woman says is oh i you know don't pay them folks no never mind and she's like it's all right jesus Jesus. is going to protect you and he just looks up and it's just the irony oh my gosh i almost cried i almost teared up as you were saying that it was just like just (laughs) the writing was impeccable the the timing and it's not and it's it's just so ironic that she would just say something like that and be so loving and tender to this man who is obviously not the same religion as her. But they saw each other as black people trying to fight for what was right for them. And I and I just absolutely love that scene oh, as well. It's such a beautiful scene. Such a just oh my, every time I watch it, it's just like I'm going to cry. Because this is just like, it's like almost like a kid. Like every time I watch the movie, you know what's going to happen. It's just like, maybe it'll be different this time. (laughs) Maybe it'll get away. And then him uh, driving down the street, seeing the CIA or FBI in the rear view mirror uh, tailing him. I mean. Yeah, that that was just, um, 
the scene is beautiful to me because it's just like just like you were talking about earlier about what 39 year old thinks i need to write an autobiography just because this is a man who is who was already uh reserved to his fate he he knew what was going to happen he knew there was no happy ending to this story he knew at, at some point either the white people were going to kill him the nation was going to kill him you know there was no other way out of this so that scene was just like he's going to his final destination he's willingly knows like this is my mission i can't be a coward and say i'm not going to go up and speak because i might get murdered it is what it is like it's just such a heartbreaking scene because you it it really gives you a sense like if you have a mission you have to do it like you can't be afraid of the you know people coming after you yeah and i don't think malcolm thought of himself as a martyr because that was quite the opposite but he understood what he was in the movement and he knew he had to get up on that stage he knew he had to continue day after day to give the speeches that he gave and be seen in the public so he could uh so the public would know that yeah we still have to fight no matter where the hatred and vitriol is coming from on both sides because his house was burned down we know that i mean he was having uh threatening phone calls made to his home to his wife uh to himself and you know he was tailed by the what was it? The CIA overseas and everything. But he knew he had to continue to put one foot in front of the other. And as we know, you can look up the interview on was a YouTube now where was it the FBI or the CIA trying to get him to flip against Elijah Muhammad? Yeah, I believe it was the CIA trying to pretty much doing the same first 48 tactics. Like you got recordings of this guy talking bad about you and we can go into the COINTELPRO thing for hours. That, that's going to have to be another episode. But why? Who, who thought this was a good idea to release that? Uh, well, I, I believe after a certain amount of time, it has, it has to, to, be. to be declassified. Right. Uh, but it, it's a crazy amount of time, like 50 years or something. Uh, so that's why a lot of the Kennedy stuff is is just now coming to light. And yeah, it, it's one of those things where everybody was trying to bring this man down at one point. Like mm-hmm. his his message was so dangerous and they saw he wasn't just some figurehead. He saw he wasn't just some guy preaching what he heard. Like he had a mission. He had a message and his message was super dangerous to the establishment. So they were, of course, using everything at their disposal, like they were with Mal- uh, Martin Luther King Jr. to try to bring him down. Only thing is, he was the real deal. He was legitimate. Hey, I am trying to help black people. Like, I have nothing else I'm doing out here. I'm not gambling. I'm not taking money. I'm not sleeping with various women. Nope. Like, he was an infallible authority in the community. And that was something that was so dangerous. That's why I do think the F- or the CIA or the government in general knew about what was going to happen in terms of his assassination. Definitely were just like, we're just going to, because according to Fowles, there was an individual, I believe his name was John Ali, who was, mm-hmm. who was embedded with the nation of Islam, who yeah. was specifically there to sow seeds of discourse between members. And that's where you start seeing like emergence of Louis Farrakhan, who has gone on record apologizing for his rhetoric, which may have in- inflamed certain people to do things, you know, in, gar- in regards to his murder. And it's just so crazy that even to this day, we don't know what happened. Absolutely. What's your favorite scene before? We- my favorite scene in the movie is probably, I think my favorite scene is probably when Malcolm, his house is burning. His house is burning. And it flashes back to when he was a kid and his house was burning as well. I mean, his father, a strong, big black man in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by these white folks that hated him, 
hated him and wanted him to skip town, but he stayed. Set his house ablaze as a child. And then Malcolm to be almost 40 years old, having that happen to him. And he's rushing his children out the house. It's just a very deep scene to me. It just goes back and forth, back and forth between the flashback of him him as a child escaping his house and him being placed in his father's place Mm. and trying to escape the madness as well. And then I think about when in one of Malcolm X's uh, speeches, he talks about your house will burn down as well. And I think about that and I'm just like the way Spike shot that, I could not imagine the fear of a man trying to protect his children, trying to protect his wife. It just it it just really touches me. And when I think about it, it kind of sends chills up and down my spine. Mm. I mean, there's not a lot of dialogue in there. What we see afterwards is is Malcolm X's father say, I'm a man. And he shouts that and he proclaims that to the Klan who burned down the home. What is it? The Black Legion? Black Legion. Black Legion who burned down his home. And he says, I'm a man. That's what Malcolm was. He was a man. Mm. And he was a very strong man. And that's not popular. That wasn't popular then. And that's definitely not popular now. Strong black man who has certain certain thoughts and maybe opinions that don't go with the flow. You know, I think about that scene and, you know, other scenes, you know, if we're talking about like funny scenes uh, or scenes that I thought were pretty witty with him and Rudy and Sophia and Shorty all. We both picked scenes that kind of go hand in hand because Malcolm's father was exactly like you said Malcolm was a man and he had that put instilled on him for it because of his father I'm not going to be afraid I'm not going to run and that goes hand in hand just like you said they were trying to get Malcolm's father to leave to run don't deliver your message because you're going to get killed and that's the same thing with the scene I chose with Malcolm like he knew potentially going to get murdered because of his message and he didn't run. He didn't stop. He didn't he didn't cower. He just continued to move forward. And the same thing with Malcolm's father. And just I, I feel like fatherhood is such a huge part of this movie just because Malcolm didn't have that father. He had that experience of seeing that strong black man, mm-hmm. uh, but didn't get to be raised by him. And then you see him go into the wing of a West Indian Archie. And that's Word. when he goes further into the criminal world. And then you see him kind of betray West Indian Archie and break away from him and go to prison. And then he finds uh, Elijah Muhammad. And then he that's his new father figure until he breaks away from him. And then he becomes his own man. Like he become like he doesn't need to look for those male figures to give him a, a meaning or a message or he's his own man. He knows what he's doing and he's going to help people and uplift him in that manner too. And it was just like, man, that's so crazy. Cause like so many men don't have fathers. So we do go out there looking for those individuals. And a lot of the times it's going to be the negative one. Cause it's just not right. a whole lot of successful black men saying, Hey brother, let me help you. And that's why it's such an important thing for each and every one of us to, you know, you see a young black man out there struggling, needs help, needs advice, uplift them. Right. Give them some advice. Tell them, yo, you don't, you are what you're not, who you are right now is not dictated by what you're doing. And Malcolm X is the overall overarching. I think he is the great American story in this country of an individual who was born into poverty, was living in crime, turned his life around, uneducated, had the knowledge of a Rhodes Scholar, able to go to Oxford in England and debate the best and brightest, sit across from James Baldwin and them had a deep philosophical talk about uh, the black community and the Christianity and whatnot. And it's just like, this guy is just 
the American story in a nutshell, the way that he was able to rise and become something that's legendary in our culture. So even if you're not black, matter if you're Chinese, Japanese, Hispanic, Ecuadorian, if you're in this country and you've lived here for a while, you know who Malcolm X is. It's the same with like Cesar Chavez. I don't necessarily know about the Mexican struggle, but I know who the hell Cesar Chavez is. You know, I know who Che Rivera is. One of those legendary figures who encapsulates a struggle. And Malcolm X in this film is just something that was amazing and I've never seen another biopic that made me feel like this. Now, I don't think I've seen another movie that made me feel so strongly about my own identity and self-worth. It's just something that that transcends film altogether for me. Yeah, I kind of want to go back how we were talking about uh, the strong presence of Black men in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think that one of my critiques about the movie is is that there is a lack of presence of the strong black women that were mm-hmm. in Malcolm's life. His mother, I understand, went to Kalamazoo and she was committed. But that didn't happen right after the death. Right. That didn't happen. His mother struggled for years, yeah. dated. It didn't work out. His sister. His sister, Eleanor. Right. Uh, Ella. Ella was completely taken out of the movie. And she was very important in his life. He didn't just go to New York out the blue. Right. And she was someone who was a go-getter. I mean, she was divorced several times and she got herself back on her feet. You know, and she would take in Malcolm and help him. I mean, they do a good job with showing how strong Betty Shabazz is with uh, Angela Bassett's character. But there were more women, black women in Malcolm's life that helped him get to where he was. So I think that would be one of my only critiques of the film. But you can't throw in everything like we talk about. Baines isn't the real character. He's a composite character. Uh, His the his siblings are not in the movie at all. And he had a it, it was his brother who got him on to the nation. Yeah, yeah. The brother was the one who introduced him while he was in prison. Yeah, and they kind of wrote out out Bimbe and kind of combined him with... Right. uh, Because it was one one individual who I believe just taught him about education, and the other one was brother, hipped him on Islam. I can't remember his name. I think it was Filbert. Yeah, it was was something like that. Uh, But yeah, and it's funny because he actually ended up getting uh, excommunicated. Right. And yeah, it's just so crazy because it it was kind of like a cult mentality, kind of like Scientology when you look at it. Yeah. You know, they had this uh, leader who was preaching about X, Y, Z. And then it's just like, okay, you do something wrong. They're going to treat you horribly. And then it turns out Elijah Muhammad had his own demons. He was he was battling. And that that had to be so, so crushing. And I love the way in the movie they they covered it because it was such a, a moment where he's just so torn as to what his next course of events, because once again, it's this man who is his father figure, you know, mm. who, who, he, who he says he feared like the son, you know, had such respect for him and reverence. And then find out that he be just might be a charlatan. Like everything he's taught me is a lie. Like I disowned all these people and here you are doing the stuff you've been disowned before. Like right. it, it's just very, very gives you a kind of a sense. Like, first of all, he was a superstar. Malcolm X was one of those people who weren't supposed to be anything special. He was just supposed to be another face in the crowd. But his experience, his rhetoric, his his charisma just shot him to the forefront in front of Elijah Muhammad. And it's just like, we can't have that, brother. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the thing is, everybody saw him trying to usurp Elijah Muhammad. But Malcolm in the movie and in his own words says, no, I would 
gladly lay my life down for this man. I would put my life on the line for this man. I would do anything for this man. But you had brothers in the nation saying, yo, we don't see it like that. They say you're trying to become the new uh, messenger, messenger, you know, brother minister, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just crazy how people really thought that was the actual case, that jealousy and that envy. Malcolm just had nothing but pure adulation like a child for Elijah Muhammad. He was just always talking about things like you're not taught about in school, especially if you go to a white public school. You're not going to be taught about these people um, as a black child growing up. So idealistic. Yeah. And it's just once again, March on Washington crowd. Right. It's it's, it's about symbolism and symbolism is what's got us here. Um, Mal- if we had listened to Malcolm, then we would have black ownership of a lot of mo- a lot more things like real estate, properties, businesses, et cetera, et cetera. I think that Malcolm would probably be disappointed with a lot of the things that are going on now, particularly people not understanding that we don't, we want separation, not segregation. Separation is where you see me as an equal. We have equal powers. Um, There is equity. Segregation is where you have more power than, than I. We can integrate when we do business, et cetera, et cetera, exchange goods and services. We go back to our respective communities and we try to better our communities. There's no disdain for one another, but just a mutual respect. And I think he would be very disappointed with a lot of the lack of ownership that we have, the economic disadvantages that we have now when we're supposed to still supposed to be the richest nation on earth and black people still have accumulated nothing. We've lost more. We have approximately half of 1% of wealth (laughs) in the United States. That that to me is mind boggling. So Malcolm preached and taught black economics, black unity, community. Community is something that isn't really taught nowadays about within black circles. It's usually I'm better at you than this and you can't catch me, et cetera, et cetera. We see that perpetuated in hip hop and some movies. Let's combine our resources and our knowledge to try and build something. Let's build our community. Let's take our streets back, you know? So because of that, that spirit of you, uh, unanimity, but uh, in, in a lot of other respects, no, he'd be definitely be pissed off at what he sees. Yeah. In terms of the actual film, where do you grade this scale to one to 10? Nine and a half out of 10. Yeah. I, I would say just because nothing is perfect, I would say nine and a half as nine and three quarters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything was great in this film. I mean, the actors, the actresses, the plot, the story, the pacing, um, the cinematography, like we talk about Spike, that dolly shot is just mm. really iconic. Wardrobe. Oh, I, can't, yeah. I can't really think of anything. Yeah, I, I mean, can't think of too many cons. I think that the only complaint is I think that the story of Malcolm X should be like a 13 part miniseries. Mm. You know, three hours is not enough. Yeah. Just with this man. Just childhood up into him getting to Harlem could be an entire season into itself just right. to develop the man. So you understand the psychology more. But he at the end of the sh- at the end of the struggle, he was just for everybody coming together. But he didn't feel the need to beat you over the head if you didn't want that. Uh, certain leaders were just like, we want you to love us. But he was, had no problem saying, look, if you don't love me, that's totally OK. So long as I have the love of my community and my people and my family, I'll be able to get by. I think that's what we need in our community is just to love one another before we start worrying about other people loving us from the outside. But yeah, that, that's that's all I got to say. Any closing thoughts in regards to the great film Malcolm X by Spike Lee? 
If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's an excellent film. Take notes. And I would also recommend reading the book, the book Masterful. Alex Haley tells the story of Malcolm X like nobody else can, but just fantastic piece of literature. Read about the human experience. The autobiography of Malcolm X is what you want to read. If you want to see a film with an actor who completely changes his self three different times in this film, this is the movie. If you want to see a movie with great directional imaging and just everything on point, this is the movie you're going to want to see. Like it's, I can't think of too many people who wouldn't see this and see it for the masterpiece it is. So I I just, I'm so excited to be doing these media reviews with my best friend, co-host, line brother, arch nemesis, Eric Hawthorne. It's so good to be able to finally record our our long discussions about <laughs> like i said 30 to 45 minutes lb we're we're over an hour now but it's cool it's, it's great discussion i love having them man yeah you know I, I i love being here with you talking about the things that we're passionate about the films that we're passionate about and you know many of the topics that we love i know we're not going to disagree we're not going to agree on everything but we definitely agree on quite a bit and this is a film that is just really impeccable it's a wonderful piece of film and uh, cinema and i wish they would re-release it in the theater i would brave covid to go see this film on an imax screen uh but brother i just you know i love you and i I love being here i love doing this with you and you know hope Hopefully we can do this for years to come. Absolutely. So long as they keep making movies and media for the <laughs> review. But now, yeah, once again, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, please remember to go on our social media and follow us there. If you can, please uh, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We love those five stars. Uh, and those do help us tremendously with showing up on different searches, suggestion, and their different algorithms Google uses. So please help us and support us by doing that. We are also on Patreon, Urban Alchemy Podcast backslash Patreon. If you'd like to support us and enjoy the content we make here, please think about doing that. Uh, we will be able to make even more content for you. So once again, I am J.M. Banks. And I'm Eric Hoffman. This is Urban Alchemy Podcast. Thank you once again for joining us and we look forward to bringing you more amazing reviews in the future. As always, stay safe out there and stay blessed. Peace.